You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, a typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This program is a paid commercial announcement from Jacob Media Partners and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. Today's program is pre-recorded. This is Women to Watch. To rise above all of the noise and fulfill every last one of your dreams. Women to Watch, sharing the real stories of the most accomplished women in the world. It is for those frightened children who want peace. It is for those voiceless children want change. Be inspired by women from across the globe. True philanthropy comes from living from the heart of yourself and giving what you have been given. Who are encouraging more women to pursue their dreams? What I know to be true is that women were always meant to lead. And by shining a light on those doing it well today, my hope is that more women will be inspired to use their own voice. Now, here's the owner, founder, and host of Women to Watch, Sue Rocco. Good evening, everyone, and thank you so much for being with me for another week of Women to Watch. It's been quite a historic week, and I think we're all ready and excited for a fresh start. We have a great show for you tonight. Joining me in just a moment will be Suzanne Yoon, the founding, excuse me, the founder and managing partner of Kinsey Capital based in Chicago. In addition to my interview with Suzanne, you'll hear from our exclusive watch team of on-air contributors. We'll have a visit from one of our past guests, Alice Bass, the founder of Beyond Celiac. And we'll have a quick chat with Nicole Hitner, our very own in-house legal watch contributor for her take on Suzanne's story and career. By the way, our watch team is made up of companies who support the show financially. So if you're a loyal listener, we hope you'll support those companies as well. And they can all be found on our watch team page on our website. For those of you who might be new to the show, I hope you'll visit us at womentowatch.net to sign up for our newsletter and our podcast 
And to learn more about becoming a part of the watch team um, on air contributing members, feel free to email Laura at womentowatch.net. That's Laura, L-A-U-R-A, at women, the number two, watch.net, N-E-T. So now I'm very honored and excited to welcome to the show Suzanne Yoon. Suzanne, thanks so much for being here. Thank you very much for having me today. I'm really excited to be on the show. And, you know, ironically, I think we're, we're both going to be meeting up again very soon with a um, online panel for PS27 Ventures. Oh, that's very exciting. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, listen, I, I, I wanted to start with your background and your upbringing. And, and I find, you know, a couple of things about your past and your growing up years to be um Something, well, obviously you'll be sharing a challenge, um, something that happened to the family that I think is going to be a very pivotal part of your story. And, but I want to talk about your parents. And um, I heard that not only did your mom and dad really love what they did, uh, your mom was a nurse and your dad was an entrepreneur, but what you saw in them growing up was that if there was something happening in their lives that they didn't like, um, they made every effort to change it. And I wanted to know how that example shaped who you are today. So I, I, um, I'm really fortunate that I had uh, parents who believed in the American dream, um, even though they grew up in Korea and just picked up and left Korea. I think that is probably um, uh in for my entire family the most pivotal moment right of our family history in um as as americans is that um, they decided that they were going to come to america with nothing um with very little language skills i think at the time to study here and uh, build a life uh, for the family um, because they believed that we would have more opportunity in the united states as a family and this is even prior um, to me being born. And so I, I grew up with that just notion of, um, you know, really loving this country and also understanding, you know, hard work um, could really make you, um, you could be whatever you wanted to be if you worked really hard and you were really focused. With that said, I was reminded quite frequently by my mother and father that because we were immigrants that, you know, in order to belong, we would have to work twice as hard. Mm. So I think that mentality very early in my life um, was kind of, you know, hammered into me and my sisters and my brother. Um, and, and, and that was obviously a great lesson um, to learn. I don't know that it was true that um, completely true that we had to work twice as hard um, and that, you know, but, but I, I do think that the work ethic that was instilled in me um, as a young child was really uh, important for my development today. I understand your, your grandmother as well was quite an influence. And I, I, I have a quote. You said, my grandmother was an amazing woman who encouraged me to be a strong, independent woman. And she was a living example. In what way? So my grandmother and my grandfather were actually split up, split up during the Korean War. And she had had my mother, who was her oldest daughter, and she escaped essentially south 
with a two-year-old daughter without a husband. And um, they, at the time, because of communication methods, didn't know that they each believed that the other had died during the war. Hmm. So my grandmother actually remarried and built her own business, um, which was around uh, a small hotel and then went into um, like a local lending business and into more um, just small business, started with her small business with this hotel, then went into real estate and then had a local lending business in, in South Korea. Um, eventually they figured out that um, it, that neither had died, but both had remarried with other children. Wow. I think wow. it was really interesting because, you know, you, you think about the division of what happens with war, with lack of communication and phone lines. And, um, but I, I think, I think about my grandmother and how much she persevered and I think recognized that she had to survive on her own. Um, during a time in Korea where, you know, women were definitely second-class citizens, um, could not own property, could not have loans, could not really even have bank accounts without a spouse, brother, father. Right. And um, in the 50s. And then raising my mother, um, even though she did get remarried, to be really conscious about being able to take care of herself under any circumstance. You know, it's always amazing to me when we, when we describe those times and that era that it really wasn't not that long ago. You know, the 50s, the 60s, where, where women were living that way. It's remarkable. Right. I mean, even in the if you think about the United States, it was just the 70s where women were allowed to have their own mortgages. Correct. Right. I mean, it was like yesterday. Yes. Right. <laughs> so, if you were alive, um, and I was alive in the seventies, yeah. Right. So, um, as was I. So, I think, you know, it's it's amazing. Um, I think we have a long way to go, but we've come a long way in a short, in a relatively short period of time. Yes. Yes. And I'm hopeful for for what's around the corner. Um, and you're you're such an example of what women are doing today. You know, is is just so much beyond. Um, what people were envisioning back then. Um, I, you know, it's a very sad occurrence that happened in your family. And I wonder if you can share with our listeners um, what happened to your dad and, and how did that event kind of shape your view of the world? Um, it, it's, it's definitely the, you know, some, a tragic immigrant story, but my, my father, um, you mentioned was an entrepreneur. Um, he was actually a, um, engineer and then ended up starting his own businesses, many of which were in um, neighborhoods that were not necessarily um, going to attract um, non-immigrant businesses. And so um, he, he, we owned, he had built um, a, a chain of stores, which included a deli and uh, some dry cleaners. And um, he would go around on you know, once a week on Tuesday evenings to collect, you know, cash from the stores to deposit into the bank. And he was actually killed in an armed robbery. And um, when I was 10 years old. And if I think about that and, and how it, it probably it affected me and my family in, in many ways, and, and it was very tragic. 
Um, but what it taught me was really that things happen in life that you can't control and that you have to be prepared mm. um, for anything. Yeah. And you have to be able to move on. You have to move forward. And my mother was a great example of that. She was 35, had a 10-year-old. I was the oldest. I was 10. My sister was five. My youngest sister was three. And she was four, four and a half months pregnant with my brother. And she just made it work and didn't look back. I think you so, know, it's almost when you have children, too, that's such an incredible um, motivator for a woman, right? That yes. she has no choice but to keep going. And, it, I mean, she was she was um, just, a, you know, she was like my greatest champion. She's, you know, I look at, you know, what she did, and I don't know that I would have survived that. <laughs> <laughs> Personally, I'm like, mm -hmm. wow, that was pretty amazing. Yeah. I would imagine you, I mean, I, from what I've read and, and learned about you, Suzanne, I think you have a great deal of your mom in you. And I, and I understand at that time as well, she leaned on you, um, you know, as kind of a second parent. Yes, I, I was definitely the second parent. Um, I, I had to grow up very quickly and um, but I'm I'm grateful that I was able to be there for my family. Yeah. Listen, we're going to take our first break. Stay with us. I'm talking to Suzanne Yoon, the founder and managing partner of Kinsey Capital. Stay with us for our watch team and we'll be right back. Now the women to watch Legal Watch. This is Nicole Hitner at Ballard Spar Law Firm for Legal Watch. Today's woman to watch guest. Suzanne Yoon is definitely a trailblazer. I've practiced law in the private equity space my entire career, and in that time, I've come across far less women than men. The recent uptick in women venturing into private equity is so encouraging, especially with respect to women like Suzanne that are founding private equity firms and making conscious decisions to include women on their team. It's no secret that the ongoing pandemic has had a disproportionate effect on the careers of women. Companies that were previously wired to appreciate FaceTime and 24-7 availability have had to make big shifts to keep female talent. In 2021, the companies, including law firms and private equity firms, that keep the needs of women juggling careers, distance learning, and lack of childcare in the forefront of their strategic plans will undoubtedly be the ones that emerge from the pandemic strongest. They'll have talent they retained or recruited from their competitors. Our country is poised to hear the voices of women, as clearly evidenced by our new vice president and the new legal developments around required diversity disclosure. So let 2021 be the year of many more emerging women to watch. This is Nicole Hitner at Ballard Spar for your Legal Watch. You're listening to Women to Watch with Sue Rocco on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Hi, Sue Rocco here, checking in with Watch Team member Nicole Hitner of Ballard Spar to get her take on this week's guest. Welcome in, Nicole. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Sue. So listen, three years after its founding, Kinsey Capital was recognized as a female founded firm of the year for 2020. What do you think it takes to get that kind of recognition in such a short period of time? Um, yeah, that's that's right. The Private Equity Women Investor Network awarded Kinsey the Female Founder of the Year for 2020, which is really incredible after being founded just three years earlier. 
The Pew and Awards recognize the outstanding organizations that are transforming the private equity industry, which is, you know, right in my wheelhouse by supporting increased gender diversity. And this is the first year they had the award titled the Female Founded Firm of the Year. And I think Kinsey really stands out for that award because as you and I have discussed in the past, private equity is really historically such a male-dominated field and really right. not all that racially diverse either. So when you look at Suzanne's team, though, that she's compiled, it's noticeable that nearly half of them are women, including her general counsel, which, of course, you know I love. Right. This, I have a quote from her. Um, Suzanne has said, elevating successful female leaders in the public eye can have a powerful impact on both women and men as we continue to work towards gender equality. How do things stand around gender equality in the legal profession these days? Well, I think we were on a really good track in making such strides towards gender equality in the legal profession in the last few years. I mean, firms like mine have nearly 30% female equity partners, which I was really proud of as the chair of our firm's women's group, um, Ballard Women. But unfortunately, the pandemic has really hit female professionals hard. And mm -hmm. although it's 2021, studies show that women are still shouldering the majority of the household administration. So now that in many cases includes managing distance learning, at-home childcare, which prior to the pandemic was kind of outsourced. And this is especially true in jobs like private practice lawyering, which is kind of a 24-7 career. I was literally just reading an article this morning on Law.com about working parents and COVID-19 survey they did that highlighted the strain on lawyer parents. So 85% of the respondents were women and 71% of them are looking for or seriously considering changing jobs or dropping out of the field altogether. And of that number, 52% were coming out of law firms with 250 or more lawyers. Wow. Literally one respondent, yeah, I know, one even said, I think my career is basically over. Oh my gosh. Well, it's going to be, yeah. it's really going to be interesting for a lot of reasons to follow the next year. Um, so founding a company involves fundraising and recruitment and operations and compliance. Um, those are just a few things that, you know, a founder has to be managing. As someone who counsels private equity firms and other businesses, what's your take on Suzanne and her success? Well, private equity firms are really in the business of buying and selling businesses. So in order to be successful, the investments have to be successful. And I think Suzanne's crystal ball must have been really working well because Kinsey's acquisitions include Colony, a company servicing home improvement industry, and Chelsea Lighting, which services real estate design and construction. Both of those industries have absolutely exploded as people are spending so much more time at home and doing projects to improve their space. And the other key to success is really having a team that supports your vision and can keep you on track in terms of operations and compliance while you're running a company and looking for new deals. And she looks to have partnered with some really strong talent. So I think that's really going to serve her well. Yeah. Well, we're, I know we're both looking forward to her interview. So thanks for checking in, Nicole. We're looking forward to your next segment. Yeah. Thanks so much. Talk to you soon. Now, the women to watch, Military Watch. Hi. I'm Carol Eggert, Senior Vice President of Military Affairs at Comcast NBC Universal. Did you know that the National Guard has activated more troops in 2020 than at any time since World War II? The pandemic, natural disasters, civil unrest, and most recently providing security in our nation's capital to protect the epicenter of our democracy as we all observe a peaceful transition of power. 
Your family members, classmates, and neighbors continued to answer the call of service, and I'm thankful not only to them and their families, but also to their civilian employers. Having led troops in the National Guard for over 25 years, I can tell you that having a civilian boss or company that supports your military career, this directly impacts national security. One example is retention. Service members in the National Guard and Reserve will often choose to leave the military because of the strain their military obligations place on their civilian careers. One way we at Comcast NBC Universal support our teammates who serve is through our military paid time off benefit. Each year, these employees receive 14 days of additional paid time off to attend to their military obligations without having to use their traditional PTO, like vacation or sick time. Should they be activated for an extended time, if needed, we cover the difference between their military pay and their civilian pay. As a company that believes in empowering our military community employees, the military PTO benefit helps these teammates balance their civilian and military careers. Now, we acknowledge that when employees are called to duty, sometimes abruptly, as we saw during the pandemic, that this can be really tough on employers, especially small businesses. But there are resources out there to help employers, like tax incentives and free courses offered by PsychArmor Institute at psycharmor.org. When you employ someone serving in the National Guard or Reserve, I can tell you that though their periodic absences are difficult, you'll get an incredible return on your investment. You'll have an even more dedicated employee when they return because you had their back while they were serving. Since 1858, Mount St. Joseph Academy has been educating girls to be leaders, founders, and independent thinkers. Students are taught to be collaborative, courageous, compassionate, confident, and spiritual. In this student-centered environment, the young women are transformed by recognizing their own potential and are encouraged to use it to make a difference in the world. To learn more about Mount St. Joseph Academy, go to www.msjacad.org or call 215-233-3177. That's msjacad.org or 215-233-3177. This is Women to Watch with Sue Rocco, Talk Radio 1210, WPHT. Welcome back. I'm joined by Suzanne Yoon, the founder and managing partner of Kinsey Capital um, this evening. And it's, it's great to have you, Suzanne. I thought it would be kind of relevant to talk about your take on the appointment of Janet Yellen as the U.S. Secretary of the Treasury. Um, What do you think of that appointment and what are you hopeful for that that she'll bring to that role? Um, Well, I do hope that she brings some stability um, in that role um, to uh, the Treasury Department. I think there's there's obviously um, a lot of policy that has um, that's under discussion right now. Um, I do think it's it's really um, a key appointment for Biden, and you know to see a a strong woman in that role. I think is very important for the country. Um, tell me what you know as a um, 
your role, and actually for nearly 20 years, um, you have experience in investing and advising middle market companies, lower to middle market companies. And I was curious to hear what changes you've seen over the past year for this group or demographic that stands out to you? Well, I think the, 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 the biggest challenge, actually, it's not just over the last year, but I think, um, and it's, it's, it's accelerated in, in the last few years, is for these smaller and lower market businesses that don't have, um, you know, really deep capital structures or capital pockets is that um, they have had a lot of challenge around staying up to date with technology and um, and their operations around technology. Um, the other you know key factor for I think lower middle market businesses was really how um, strained the capital markets have been because of COVID and the shutdown. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, what we saw in you know, pre-March was, you know, deal flow was um, very active. Uh, the capital markets were open and it's like overnight they shut down for lower middle market businesses, which made it very challenging. If you look at the M&A market, um, you know, made it very challenging for the M&A market. Um, I would say the back half, uh, even, you know, second quarter all the way through the back half of last year. I'm hopeful that the capital market starts to open back up, um, and and obviously, the um, the change in um, with this new with a new president, and having some stability hopefully in that office um, gives people or gives the you know capital markets um, some confidence to open back up. You know, I've been so incredibly impressed, actually, with, you know, in light of what has happened um, with regard to the pandemic, how, how businesses are thriving. So, you know, the middle class, lower middle class have been hurt the most. And, you know, have you with with your client base, have you seen a company or some companies um, that have sustained that have impressed you in some way? So yeah, I mean, our portfolio has actually done very well, um, but I think a lot of that has to do with making sure, you know, right out of the gate when when the country started to shut down, um, making sure that we were protecting our liquidity positions, and um, and and our employees, um, and to make sure that things would continue to operate and have contingency plans in place. That was probably the most important. And I think the companies that are well-managed and had good um, capital structures were able to sustain um, the issues that they've had uh, over the last year. What I, what I have seen um, is that usually, and this happened in 2008 and nine as well, um, but when you have a downturn in the economy um, the businesses that have been, you know, moving along because they're riding the coattails of a good economy, but are not necessarily well managed or have the wrong capital structure in place, will really start to suffer. So, 
Um, when I look at our deal flow, what I've seen is companies that have been able to get through, maybe are a little bit stressed, but have real opportunity, you know, um, to grow, continue to grow, um, continue to be relevant to the economy. Um, and then I've seen companies that have had strain prior, maybe some strain that wasn't um, at the surface prior to the pandemic that are really distressed now and may not be in business, you know, going forward. Hmm. So there's this huge, and I, and I think I see this, we see this a lot at every downturn. And, and there will be companies that are feeling pressure and stress from this, you know, prolonged um, shutdown uh, of the, I would say, or slowdown of the economy. But very good companies will come out. There's a pl- there is cap- private capital out there that's, you know, looking to put their capital to work, where it's going to create more opportunities as well. You know, I should mention you're, you're only, you know, one of few women um, owned private equity firms. What does that mean to you, if anything? Um, and do you see it changing? I think early early in my career, I, I I didn't think a lot about, and I think this is true for many uh, women who have who have been in private equity or in banking um, and on Wall Street, is that I, I I I kind of had to just put my blinders on and not think about the fact that I was a woman, mm-hmm. and just do the work. And as I as I developed my own book of business and as I you know um, started to create my own success. Um, one of the reasons I started Kinsey was because I really wanted to have a firm or create a firm where we could have outsized returns, but do it with, you know, create a culture that I was really proud of. And so um, I think today I, I didn't think a lot about, you know, being a woman because there were so few women um, in the business while I was I would say growing up professionally, but today I think about it a lot, um, and I I think it's really important that we, at least in the investment side and, and private equity, women make very good private equity investors, and I am encouraged to see more women interested in it. Although you know we still need uh, we we as an as an industry really need to do. Uh, make it more friendly and um, do more work to recruit women earlier mm-hmm. in the process. And that might even be in high school and college that they understand what what private equity is. Um, and so I do see it changing. Um, and, you know, there's organizations that I'm involved with, including the Private Equity Women's Investor Network and the Women's Association of Venture and Equity, who are really focused on building you know, networks of women to make it more comfortable and also, you know, to share in our stories and and to be able to do business together. And I think that's really the key is that we need to continue to do business together. That's right. That's that's a big part of it. Tell me, what, what do you think the traits are that women have that make them good um, private equity investors? Um, we're very good at multitasking. 
<laughs> generally. <Right. laughs> I find that to be true. And Ask you're a any mom, mother. by the way. I should, right, yes. I should mention you are a mom. You have children. Yeah, I'm, so. a, I have a, I'm a mother of three boys <clears throat> three and boys. a wife. Um, and, um, and those are really important, both, both incredibly important jobs and roles in my life. Right. And I'm a sister. I'm a daughter. I'm, I'm all those things. Um, and, um, you know, we, we tend to be the center, right, of the family. And so you have to be able to juggle a lot. So I think, you know, multitasking is just, a I think, nat it comes very naturally to most women. Um, other traits, I think, is that um, women are a little more disarming and also bring a different view um, and, and just, uh, you know, statistically, right, 85% of household purchasing decisions are made by women. And if we look at private companies, many of the private companies and private equity owned companies in the country are consumer manufactured products and services businesses that feed into ultimately a consumer purchase. So it never, um, I never, it never occurred to me that, that it would make any sense to have an all male board on a consumer products company as an example. Right. I think you have uh, diversity of, um, of thought and backgrounds is very important in driving economic decisions. And I think yeah. women do a really good job of bringing that to the table and in investment committees and boards. Yes, I agree. Um, I have a quote here. Um, you said elevating successful female leaders in the public eye can have a powerful impact on both men and women as we continue to work towards gender equality. I was curious if you ever have had um, an experience within your industry of gender bias, and if you did, how did you handle it in that moment? I've had um, just a, a simple, you know, uh, I, I think many women have experienced this, but being, you know, walking into a room to pitch and being the most senior person in the room and, you know, being assumed that I was not the most senior person in the room. <laughs> um, you know, right, I, I may have been in a room with an associate and, and the person I'm speaking to automatically starts to direct the meeting toward my junior male colleague. And um, I think that happens actually to, I, it's happened probably to every woman I've ever talked to. Yes. Um, that has been in on Wall Street. And um, the way I always handled that was to let the meeting go naturally. Mm. Because I, I found that as I engaged, it became very obvious to the party on the other side who was, who was leading the conversation. Yeah. And shift naturally. Let, let them just figure it out. And then, yeah, I, I think that's the best way to handle those situations. That's, you know, and the so classy it, way. Yeah. And I think that's just an example of like leading with skill. Yes. Um, listen, we're going to go into another break. Stay with us. I'm talking this evening with Suzanne Yoon, the founder and managing partner of Kinsey Capital. We'll be right back. Now the women to watch. Finance Watch. Hi, this is Terry, and I'm from Fortis Family Office. Your Finance Watch team has shared information about many topics relating to your personal financial planning over the last two years. 
Today we'll highlight a few more of the more important themes. Virtually every financial product and transaction will affect your taxes. Your savings account earns interest, which is taxable. You contribute to your 401k and the contributions are not included in your taxable income. That money grows tax-free and when you withdraw it, when you're retired, it is taxable. Buying and selling real estate or any type of investment has a tax implication. Do you want to give a large gift to your child? If it's more than $15,000, you must file a gift tax return. Those insurance benefits that you received while you were disabled for a short time may or may not be taxable. This is just a sampling of the situations that could impact how you file and pay your taxes. It's also one of the reasons why we urge you to work with a trusted financial professional who understands all the implications. Many people attempt financial and tax planning on their own, relying on luck and do-it-yourself advice from well-meaning friends, family, or co-workers. But financial solutions and strategies are specific to individuals and families, and there are many factors to consider, including age, health, net worth, types of income, assets, and debt, your money personality, and more. Even then, there's no one solution that works the same for everyone. Be wary of those who suggest otherwise, such as those offering always or never answers or advice. We've spoken many times about protecting your hard-earned assets and your identity online. We constantly urge clients to have a strong cybersecurity protocol. Think of the applications and information we are accessing online, such as bank and investment accounts, social media, shopping sites, health and medical services, and business applications. Digital assets are a part of our lives and they probably won't go away. For yourself, your family, heirs, and designated representatives, please be proactive and take the proper precautions to keep your identity and assets intact. Learn more at staysafeonline.org. This is Terry. Peace out. If you believe that family, charity, or money is deeply important for the greater good, Fortis Wealth invites you to a highly personalized financial discovery process to help you visualize your financial legacy. It's not for everyone, but if you're willing to invest the time and thought, they can offer advice and strategies to help you accomplish your dreams. Fortis Advisors is a wholly owned subsidiary of Fortis Wealth, an investment advisor registered with the Securities and Exchange Commission. Visit Fortis-Wealth.com today because tomorrow is waiting. Now, the Women to Watch, Nonprofit Watch. Good evening, Women to Watch listeners. I'm Dr. Nakia Owens, Managing Director of Financial Empowerment at the United Way of Greater Philadelphia in Southern New Jersey. As many of you listeners are aware, the COVID pandemic has had a significant impact on nonprofit organizations. Many have had to make significant shifts as well as evolve and be innovative in their approaches and operations. Some of them have had to merge or were acquired by our organization due to a significant loss in funding. I have the privilege of having a good friend and colleague, Monique Curry-Mims, Principal of Civic Capital Consulting, with me today to share some of her ideas as well as recommend a strategic approach on how organizations can approach that their mission going forward. Thank you so much, Monique, for joining me. Thank you for having me, Nakia. Over the last year, we've had several strategic planning projects that we've implemented for our clients. And there are three key areas of focus that we advise all nonprofits to focus on. And those are one, community voice, making sure that you are learning from the lived experience of the people that you are serving, because oftentimes they have the solutions to the problems that they face. The second area is the landscape, understanding who's operating within the landscape, 
what is impacting the landscape, and just generally what's going on. This often can lead to mergers because of duplicitous work that is happening, but it can also lead to partnerships that allow for more, more holistic approaches and programs and services for your constituents. And then lastly, evaluative measures. Making sure that as you are working through your programs, working to meet your mission, that you are evaluating your progress as you move through it and making educated shifts as needed. So three key things, community voice, landscape understanding, and evaluative measures. If you want to know any more about strategic planning services or anything else that we offer, please visit us at www.civiccapitalconsulting.com. Thank you for having me, Nakia. Thank you so much. And there you have it. And until next time, I'm Dr. Owens, your nonprofit watch. Now more of Women to Watch with Sue Rocco on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Hi, Sue Rocco here with an update from one of our past guests. I'm with Alice Bass, the CEO of Beyond Celiac Foundation. And Alice was with us back in June of 2015. Hard to believe it was that long ago. It's great to have you back, Alice. What's new and exciting? Hi, Sue. It's really great to be back. Well, at Beyond Celiac, our vision hasn't changed. You know, we believe in a world in which people with celiac disease can live healthy lives free from fear of gluten exposure. You know, we all want to be able to get up in the morning and be able to eat what we want all day long. But our mission has evolved. We are now something called a cure accelerator. And what I mean by that is we planted our flag in the ground for treatments towards a cure by the year 2030. And through the expansion of our science team and our science department, We funded uh, $600,000 in research this year, and uh, we launched a patient database called Beyond Celiac, where the community can go in and register their signs, their symptoms, and tell us about their story, their journey. And we also have many, many strategic partnerships in the works. But what I think is most interesting about the work we're doing at the current time is in some of the research that we funded, we found that celiac disease is not just a GI disease. So it just doesn't cause, you know, tummy issues as we talked about with like diarrhea and constipation, but it can cause brain damage. So it's that microbiome reaction to the the gut and the brain. So many scientists are looking into this and we now know through some of the work that's done by a group of um, of scientists in England that indeed it does cause brain damage and it can cause something called brain fog with a group of scientists we worked with out of Boston. So you can't really think clearly. And so that's why it's imperative that we're funding research. Um, And we, but we don't want to ever have anybody think that we're just funding research because we want to lead, we lead the way in supporting our community members with celiac disease and gluten sensitivity through many rich resources, including those for COVID nineteen. So people can go to go beyond can go to beyondceliac.org. That's b e y o n d celiac c e l i a c dot org, and learn learn more about celiac disease and COVID nineteen. We also, um, hopefully in 2021, we'll be able to have our uh, 5K races again, but we'll, you know, you just have to tune in and see. 
We also are offering internship programs and ambassador programs. So we have a lot of new going on at Beyond Celiac, and we hope the community will be involved, they'll volunteer and, and, and donate to the work that we're doing. Alice, I'm so excited to hear to hear this update. I mean, the word cure just really uh, makes me very excited. And there has been a lot of talk about the gut-brain connection. So congratulations on all your success, and thanks so much for stopping by. Oh, well, thanks for having me, Sue. Looking forward to a fantastic 2021. I am as well. Take care. Bye-bye. This program is a paid commercial announcement from Jacob Media Partners and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. Today's program is pre-recorded. This is Women to Watch. To rise above all of the noise and fulfill every last one of your dreams. Women to Watch, sharing the real stories of the most accomplished women in the world. It is for those frightened children who want peace. It is for those voiceless children who want change. Be inspired by women from across the globe who are encouraging more women to pursue their dreams. True philanthropy comes from living from the heart of yourself and giving what you have been given. Now, here's the owner, founder, and host of Women to Watch, Sue Rocco. Welcome back and thanks for tuning in to the second hour of Women to Watch. My name is Sue Rocco and I'm joined this evening by Suzanne Yoon, the founder and managing partner of Kinsey Capital, a very successful private equity um, firm based in Chicago. Um, By the way, Suzanne, you've received quite a number of awards and and recognitions for your your success in what I would say is a very short period of time. Um, It's only been three years. Um, And I'm always fascinated with learning the the story of the beginning. Um, You know, I know that one of the reasons you decided to be an entrepreneur was really to, as you said, be in charge of your own destiny. And I had two questions for you around that. Number one, would you encourage your children to do the same. And then can you talk about those, you know, those first six months of, of launching a new firm in a, in a very competitive industry and what that was like? It was, um, you know, I, I, as you asked me that question, I'm, I'm having um, like flashbacks to the very beginning. <laughs> and um, it's, I'm sorry. Yeah. Taking yeah, you back and, to that scary and, time. You know, it's interesting because in some ways, um, you know, particularly leaving a very lucrative um, position uh, where I was a really senior member of another private equity firm. And uh, knowing I wasn't going to make an income, taking everything that I had earned and, you know, our whole, like all of our family, uh, essentially whatever we had in net worth and dumping it into a business where I did not know how it was going to end. Mm. um, It's really scary. And I equated a little bit to standing at the top of like a cliff and then just deciding you're going to jump. And then once you jump, it's like you have no choice. Yeah, right. Like right. you have to figure it out. You're free falling and yeah, you're, you're in falling it. and then you land in water and then you're swimming for your life. Mm. And um, uh, it was it was better. It was probably better planned than that. Um, so, you know, I had to make sure my 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 husband and my family were very supportive of me doing this. And I really did it because 
Um, one, I did want to be in charge of my own destiny. Two, um, I had a vision of um, opportunity based on an, on opportunities that I saw were not being addressed by the bigger, mar you know, uh, larger market. And um, you know, three, because I've always had a desire, um, I think, to um, build something that was special. Mm -hmm. And I, um, I would absolutely encourage, based on those three things, my, my children to do the same um, if they felt very passionate about something. And um, so I, I, I think back to those days, it was very hard. I remember every second of every day. And um, I think I will probably for another year or two. But I've, I've been told by other entrepreneurs that you remember the first every day of the first three years and then year six and year 10 kind of blend together. <laughs> so. <laughs> where, where would, how would you describe now three years in? I mean, um, as far as just your level of, of confidence and, you know, the company is, is flowing as it should. I feel very good about where we are. Um, it's really exciting to see that, you know, we've, I kind of equate it to, you know, building something, you know, as I building something from scratch, maybe we're at the now three or four story mark of a 10 story building. And, but knowing that the foundation is there, the team is very strong. We're going to build and building on the team and now really positioning ourselves for growth. Yeah. You know, recruiting um, is so, so important, right? Bringing the right people in. Um, and, and you've said, you know, in, in your recruiting, it wasn't just about diversity of race and color. It was about diversity of experience. Talk about, you know, a little bit about what you were looking for in building the people around you that you really have to, to lean on. So I really took the approach of how, really thinking about how we were going to compete in this incredibly competitive market and how we were going to get to outsized returns, because that's what every investor is really focused on, is are you going to get me the right alpha? And how do we get there? And my thesis at the time was that the way to get there faster, better, was one, obviously find really, really great deals and good management teams, but also to make sure that we had a team that had operational experience across different um, industries across uh, different, you know, functional areas. And so I was, uh, what a traditional, I would say, associate might look like going into private equity would be investment banking for, you know, a number of years, MBA, um, and then to private equity or investment banking to private equity. And I actually looked for consulting and operating um, ex operating experience because the size of the companies that we are investing in really require a roll up your sleeves um, mindset. And so um, I was looking for people who had just different industry and operating experience, which really led me to building the core team we have today so that it's balanced with professional investors as well. 
So when you're, you know, the founder and the managing partner of a company, you're, you're really overseeing and, and, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, stepping into all of those different departments of, of the running of the company. Uh, I'm always curious about just, you know, the day-to-day responsibilities. What does a typical day look like for you? You know, are you, are you bouncing all over the place or are you kind of very focused and organized and, and allotting your time, you know, every day to, to certain areas? So um, I really believe initially when we first started the business, it was bounce around all over the place, um, spending time in everything because I was really training and building um, the organization from scratch. You know, today, I, I really believe you have to have strong people that you trust that will be able to execute in the functional areas that you have, especially as a founder and managing partner. I also chair a number of private company boards. And so I can't, um, I can't get into the minutiae um, of the day-to-day. So, you know, I'm, I'm really fortunate that we have, I have, I have strong team members who are able to, you know, stay within their lanes and, and execute. Um, so operations, fundraising, investor relations, and I'm a really big believer in, um, in, in using outsourced help as well um, in order to execute properly. So we leverage our current team, um, which is a core eight-person team. And then we have another, I would say, 15-plus people in shared services with a company that really um, help us kind of elevate um, our investors' experience with Kinsey. If you're just joining us, I'm speaking to Suzanne Yoon this evening, the founder and managing partner of Kinsey Capital. And... Um, in reading about the company, Suzanne, and, and many of our listeners might not be familiar with just in general um, private equity investing, you know, what that is. And in in simple terms, I wonder if you can talk about how you have used technology within the firm that might be in a unique way to other traditional firms. Sure. Um, so private Private equity investing, what we do at Kinsey, and there's very various forms of it, but we are a control buyout firm. And we are focused on companies that are sub 15 million of earnings or EBITDA and uh, 250 million in revenue. And what we do is we pool capital from various investors that are dedicated to a fund. And then we take that capital and actually buy ownership uh, control over, you know, a portfolio of companies. And so um, what is unique about Kinsey is that we have a strategic partnership with a technology consulting and implementation firm. And my history through, you know, my history prior to Kinsey was 20 plus years in investing in uh, various companies uh, through debt equity um, in in various vehicles. And one thing I found um, that was a a real challenge in the lower middle market, so sub 250 million in revenue, where I was was finding companies that were really going through pivotal, you know, they were either going through growth, high growth periods or some generational shift, um, but and, and the management teams were very good at their manufacturing the widget or, you know, servicing their customers, but didn't really have a good handle on 
technology as a strategy or thinking about their technology in terms of you know how to integrate it into a company and for companies that are smaller um, they just don't have the resourcing right that some of these large enterprise level companies have so what we did was we partnered with clarity partners um, who is a technology firm to be able to bring true you know technology resourcing to these companies so as an example taking a manufacturing company that is 35 years old and on in, you know very outdated systems and implementing um, better processes and systems using technology that is in existence already um, but as a partner versus as a consultant and um, implementing that to create real um, growth in a company. Are you seeing more female founders? I am seeing more female founders. Um, I uh, we, still not enough, but we're we're seeing them. I, I see them more at the early stages. So in in venture investing, I think we're tending we're starting to see more, although it's still um, a small number. Um, and women, uh, they say, you know, are not. Um, although we're seeing more women founders, women are not getting as much funding as we would expect. You know, on a on a pro rata basis. And um, in the more late stage companies, it is very rare that I see a female CEO in, in the lower middle market. Um, I'm very excited when I meet them, but it, mm -hmm. it is rare. Yeah, when we, we're gonna go into our last break. When we come back, I wanna talk a little bit more about the reasons behind why is it still more difficult for women to get the capital they need uh, than men. Stay with us for our watch team as we go into the break. I'm speaking to Suzanne Yoon this evening, founder and managing partner of Kinsey Capital. We'll be right back. Now, the women to watch. Marketing Watch. I'm Lynn Falconio, Chief Marketing Officer of Publicis Health for Women to Watch Marketing Watch. Throughout the past few weeks, we've analyzed what it means to navigate life under the curve and discussed how the pandemic and sheltering in place has accelerated different industries, consumer behaviors, and trends. Even before the pandemic, we consumed information and entertainment from our devices, whether it's our smartphones, tablets, or even our watches. Now, as we're surrounded by our devices at home and the constant notifications of the outside world continue to interrupt our daily routines, it's almost impossible to take a break. Since much of the world has gone into lockdown, our screen time is higher than ever before. Social media users have grown by more than 10%, taking the global total to 3.96 billion users in July 2020. This means that for the first time ever, more than half of the world's population now uses social media. Popular video apps like TikTok are emerging quickly, especially for younger generations like Millennials and Gen Z, with 41% of TikTok users between the ages of 16 and 24. But TikTok isn't just a forum to share viral dance routines and comedy skits. Experts across different industries are now using the platform to create short-form video content as a way of sharing info and reaching new audiences. For example, Dr. Rosemary Leslie, known as Dr. Leslie on TikTok, is a family medicine resident physician at the University of Minnesota Medical School. Leslie's videos range from debunking misinformation around COVID-19, sharing the effects of vaping-associated lung disease, 
daily health and wellness tips, and more. In a world where we must now be socially distanced from one another, rising media trends and emerging platforms like TikTok have given people a sense of community in dark times and allowed marketers to reach audiences at scale in unique ways. I'm Lynn Falconio for Women to Watch Marketing Watch, and I'll see you next time. Now, the Women to Watch Health Watch. For Health Watch, I'm Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Today on Your Radio Doctor, I spoke with Dr. Jack Endy from Penn Medicine about the role of an internal medicine doctor who offers general medical care for adults. The annual physical allows your internist to monitor your overall health, discuss prevention, and address any new issues, especially silent problems, the ones you can't feel, like a rising blood pressure, thyroid disease, or anemia, which is a low blood count. We start with a history. Any new aches or pains? weight change. Each concern is evaluated so we can look for any correlation with your physical exam. And with a new patient, we ask about your past history, any heart disease, diabetes, high blood pressure, anemia, thyroid, seizures, asthma, hepatitis. What about your surgical history, especially your abdomen like appendix, gallbladder, any heart surgery or joint replacements? How does that help? Well, let's say you're taking a medicine for heartburn and you're not getting better. Maybe since your gallbladder was removed, you're refluxing bile, not just acid, so we use a different medicine. Your family history is so important to keep it updated, especially with close relatives like parents, siblings, and children. Social history, have you ever smoked? How about vaping? Can cause serious lung damage. Excess caffeine can really affect your heart or GI tract. Alcohol, how much? Are you sexually active? More than one partner? Be honest with yourself and your physician for the best care. And be ready to answer things like, do you have chest pain or shortness of breath when climbing stairs? Burning or bleeding when you pass your urine? New joint pain or skin rash? Have a written list of your medicines, including over-the-counter meds and supplements. They can be helpful or harmful. Then your physical exam. And blood tests for cholesterol, your blood count to check for anemia, chemistries for kidney and liver function. Is your thyroid fast or slow? Of course, cancer screenings and vaccinations like the flu vaccine, best if given each October, the shingles and pneumonia vaccines. And if all your visits are just for acute problems, these maintenance issues could be missed. Listen to the entire podcast on yourradiodoctor.net. Tune in on Sunday mornings at 10 o'clock here on WPHT, where the doctor is always on call. You're listening to Women to Watch with Sue Rocco on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Welcome back. I'm speaking to Suzanne Yoon this evening, the founder and managing partner of Kinsey Capital. Um, And just before the break, we were talking a little bit about, you know, um, the increase in women who are starting their own companies and becoming founders. And it's so exciting to see it. I think there's a lot of reasons why, you know, it hasn't been the case up until this point. Um, and we could do a whole show on that, but I wanted to just kind of get your take, Suzanne, on what specifically you think the reason is that women have a tougher time getting the capital for their um, ideas and and their their new businesses. Well, I think there's there's a considerable amount of research, you know, looking at why women, you know, I guess are uh, fare poorly when they're raising venture capital. And this is specifically with venture capital, uh, because I think venture has done a better job at really like looking at that and researching. And I I think the last thing I saw um, recently um, was that it was something like less than 5%, and it might be even less than that, 
uh, VC funding goes to women. And I, I think at the end of the day, um, you know, and, and I, again, this is uh, just from research I've seen too, is that there is an unconscious bias against women um, and that not feeling like they can actually lead or execute that, you know, that may be a driver in that. And I think the second is really that women, um, you know, according to the research is that there's like a lack of kind of like connection of like who you know um, or network mm, yes. and, and and that women are not as aggressive about networking as 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 men are um, with that said if you have an industry that is you know 95 percent men it's and and men are networking with each other it 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 would take a considerable amount like more effort, right, for women to network in that. Mm-hmm. So you're already at a disadvantage. Just um, by the numbers, yeah. Just by the numbers, women yeah. are already at a disadvantage. So um, unfortunately, you know, that, that it requires women to work harder for less capital. The good news is people are really talking about it more. Right. Right. uh, There's been a proliferation of focus on impact investing and impact investing falls into, um, I would say, some key major categories, including environmental. um, But really, the social aspect of that is really focused on females and minorities. You know, in speaking to that, Suzanne, are there do you have um, are there causes that are personal to you outside of um, your work? I have I have so many Um, I I've you know one thing we just going back to thinking about my parents um, they really taught me and my siblings like very early that you know the blessings that we have are there for us to share and um, and to really focus on you know philanthropy and giving back to our communities Um, and so I have a number of a number of uh, not-for-profit boards that I serve on today um, including the National Philanthropic Trust, the, Ch- the Chicago Public Library Foundation, um, which is uh, one of the premier, I would say, library um, programs in the world, and um, that really serves, um, you know, most importantly, I think, the communities that are most underserved in the city of Chicago, and um, also uh, the Council of Korean Americans which is an advocacy organization for Korean Americans. Um, and we cover everything from immigration um, to North Korea uh, relations and, um, uh, and, in our, and then the Korean American communities within um, the cities across the country. So those are just three uh, of a few, but I, I also am a big um, advocate of early childhood education and supporting um, you know, supporting uh, better education, both um, both academically, but also social education, and, and trying to get high aptitude children um, into uh, better communities. Have you had opportunities, Suzanne, to speak to young girls about the financial industry and field, and and why it might be more um, of an enjoyable career for them than they think? I think. You know, sometimes young girls in particular are intimidated by that field 
And, and what would you say to them if you had the opportunity to be in front of a classroom of, of girls? Um, one, I would tell them, don't let anyone tell you that girls are not good at math because it's not true. Right. Because <laughs> I was told that a lot, actually, because I would say, I love math. Well, girls are not, you know, great at math. I'm like, well, I'm pretty good at math. Yeah, it's, <laughs> so, a, big, it's a big farce, that. <laughs> um, right. Um, and um, and that it's, it's, it's really fun. Um, I, I would say it's really fun to make money. I mean, it's fun to invest and, and watch your, you know, your dollars grow and then be able to do really cool things with those, mm-hmm. with, with those dollars. And, um, I, I actually, um, involved with a number of schools, um, in the city of Chicago, um, through various organizations and, um, actually, I'm speaking uh, later this month um, to a group of high school uh, children, um, high school women um, that uh, are in, um, you know, come from, I would say, uh, you know, at-risk neighborhoods to talk about specifically, you know, what a career in finance and um, banking and private equity looks like. You know, I think I, part of I think that's probably the most important is that if if you don't see it, you never know you can do it. Yeah, I I think that I you know you mentioned the word wealth, and I think that that often is um, women in particular are are a little bit there's some guilt there or something a false sense of I shouldn't aim for wealth when really having that wealth is what allows us to be able to do more, give more, and right? And spread whatever message it is that we wanna spread. And perhaps the teachers in the classroom should be talking to the kids more about um, money and finance and investing and saving than just math. Yeah, and, and that it's okay to, that it's okay to have money and control your own destiny. Right, right. What, what that allows us to do. But that's not, you know, I know even for myself growing up, the idea of wanting to have great wealth felt wrong, but it's actually not. <laughs> and I, I wonder if that is something that girls feel more than boys. I think so. And, and, and I think there's probably a lot of reasons around that. But, you know, as we've been looked at as, as caretakers, so if you're a, a caretaker and someone who innately wants everyone around you to, to be well, um, you're not putting as much thought to, to creating and building wealth. It's, that's an, I, I actually never felt that way. Um, and I think that was because I grew up in a single family home, I think, you know, uh, after 10, and watched my mother work sometimes two shifts, mm, and sometimes 24 right. hours um, right. to make ends meet. And for me, it was always about having the stability to be able to um, control my life and also help my family. So I knew, and I, and I was in a neighborhood and I went to a very good high school and I had access to uh, you know, my friend's parents who were incredibly success, successful and wealthy. And I think seeing that stability and, and their ability to, again, um, dictate their path was really important to me. And, um, and also just not relying on someone else to take care of me. Right. 
to be independent. And it's it's just fascinating to me the difference, the different philosophies we have because of our upbringing. You know, what lessons were we fed? What did we observe? What did we see? Um, so I think the conversations today around money are so much more candid and um, effective for women. And women tend to just naturally, I think we're, because we are caregivers and we, um, we, we naturally want to give back. And so I think, um, and, and women tend to make very good decisions with their money. Can I ask you, Suzanne, over the past year, it's been, it's been an incredibly difficult, scary time for everyone. And boy, did it just kind of come out of nowhere. What um, keeps you up at night? What, what is a worry for you? Um, I, I, candidly, I think the, the geopolitical um, environment is very scary right now. Um, globally and, you know, in the United States, which, you know, the United States has a lot of effect on, on the world. Um, I'm really, I am very hopeful um, about uh, opening back up with the vaccines so that mm-hmm. I would, you know, caveat that. Um, and then I think in general, it just, it's, it's really hard given, you know, the political environment that we're in today uh, to not be, thinking about, um, you know, our children and, you know, the environment and um, just the future of the United States. But with that said, I'm, I'm very hopeful um, that this year is going to be a stabilizing year. You mentioned, you mentioned, and and I am as well, and you mentioned your three boys and, you know, I don't have little ones at home. My little ones are big ones now. (laughs) So I've been feeling grateful to not have to, to explain to little ones why they have to walk out the door with a mask on. How, how have your boys been coping with, you know, the new way of life? I, I, I am um, really amazed at how resilient children are. And they don't question it. It's just a part of their day. Um, initially, it was a little strange, and it was scary. But I think today they're just used to it. And they go to school. They wear masks all day in school. They have um, protocols, and they follow them. And I, I think, um, I have a lot of hope in this generation because. There's a lot of things that um, we're fighting over, you know, as adults today that they probably think are is absolutely absurd. <laughs> so um, they're like, wait, that makes no sense. What? Exactly. You know, because yes. of the way that they've grown up. And yes. so um, which is the evolution of our society. I'm I, I think I see them every day and I'm really hopeful for the future. Well, that's a that's a beautiful way to end the show. Um, Suzanne, I thank you so much for taking time to share a little bit about your life story and your career with us this evening. And Sue, thank you very much for having me on the show. It's a pleasure. Now, the women to watch. Tech Watch. Hi, I'm Mary Manso from Pathways Consulting Group. Did you ever notice that the way boys and girls use screen time is much different? Boys tend to gravitate to games, while girls tend to gravitate to social platforms. 
This is because research shows that girls are more pro-social than boys and boys are more biologically prone to games. I read an interesting article about a study between boys and girls. While being viewed under an MRI, researchers showed groups photos of people playing video games. It appeared that the part of the brain that's associated with addiction and a sense of reward was more active in the majority of boys than girls. It's not a secret that many apps are designed to addict us and geared toward a specific gender or group of people. They're meant to keep us on as long as possible and keep us coming back for more. Catherine Price, a science journalist and author of How to Break Up with Your Phone, warns anything that's free to use, you should be highly suspicious of. With children spending a minimum of four hours a day on electronics, what can parents do to minimize this time? First, I'd suggest that you educate yourself on games and apps your children are using and teach them about the risks of social media and about chatting online with gamers, much like you do when you talk to them about not speaking to strangers. Next, establish screen zones in your house where you don't allow electronics. The kitchen and dining room are great electronic-free zones. Establish screen downtime, perhaps at dinner time. And because many games and apps are stimulants, create screen downtime an hour before bed. Also consider not allowing screen time in the bedroom, or at least minimize the amount of electronics in the bedroom. Of course, the greatest advice I have is incorporate activities that don't involve screen time starting at a very early age, so that screen time is viewed as a privilege and not a way of life. For more on this topic, email me at mary at pathwayscg.com. Introducing Pathways Consulting Group, a company that will align your IT needs with your business goals. Pathways is a full-service ServiceNow partner. What does that mean? It's simple. Pathways will collaborate and design, develop, and deploy solutions for your company today that will define tomorrow. Pathways will provide world-class enterprise service management solutions. Pathways Consulting Group. They listen. They care. They execute. Go to PathwaysCG.com. That's PathwaysCG.com. Hi, Sue Rocco here, host of Women to Watch. Are you a fan of the show? If so, be sure to sign up for our podcast at womentowatch.net so you never miss a show and can listen on your own time. That's women, the number two, watch.net, N-E-T. Now, Women on the Fly. Hi, Sue Rocco here with Suzanne Yoon for our Women on the Fly segment. Suzanne, how do you start your day? I start with, uh, I wake up and I meditate for 20 minutes. What is your mantra for stressful moments? Breathe. <laughs> are you are you a planner or more spontaneous? I like to plan, but I'm okay with spontaneity. Where are you typically when inspiration strikes? I can be anywhere, but I definitely probably more outside than I am inside. A place you've traveled to you'd like to go back? Costa Rica. How do you unwind? Yoga, meditation, board games with my kids. What's your definition of feminism? Just being authentically you. What are three words that describe you? Determined, hardworking, excited. How about a book you'd recommend to our listeners? Uh, Cast by Isabel Wilkins. And the last question, how do you end your day? I read. Excellent. Read something that is not work-related. That's a good idea. Great idea. Thanks, Suzanne. 
next is our Coach's Corner podcast, which is a shorter version of our weekly show and can be heard wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm BJ Gray with this week's Coach's Corner. Today, I'm going to talk about self-improvement as a failure. This is sort of a provocative topic for a coach, someone whose career is built on helping others grow mentally and work on self-improvement techniques. But hear me out. Can the quest for self-improvement be a distraction to what truly matters today? Meaning, is your self-improvement a quest related to your need to change, be better, so you feel worthy? Tim Ferriss, author of The 4-Hour Workweek, is making a self-improvement shift from searching for answers to questions about how to do more, do it better, and do it more efficiently, to focusing on what's happening inside him now, to help him get comfortable with being himself. I look at this as a form of self-acceptance, accepting where you're at and knowing you are worthy right now. Ferris says, quote, not everything that is meaningful can be measured easily, unquote. Sometimes we become junkies for self-improvement, never satisfied, and that's just a recipe for self-sabotage. Never happy, never good enough. In our tireless pursuit of improvement, we're often just masking our inner pain of unworthiness. To move forward, we must turn off the noise and face our true selves without judgment. Only then can we hope to experience any authentic self-improvement. Tara Brock, the noted psychotherapist, describes this unworthiness in her book, Radical Acceptance, like this. As a friend of mine put it, feeling that something is wrong with me is the invisible and toxic gas I'm always breathing. When we experience our lives through the lens of personal insufficiency, we are imprisoned in what I call the trance of unworthiness. Trapped in this trance, we are unable to perceive the truth of who we really are. And this is why self-improvement can so easily become a problem. So I challenge you to accept yourself, believe in your worthiness, and get comfortable being yourself first. Then become a self-improvement guru. Thanks for listening to this edition of Coach's Corner. Connect with me directly on LinkedIn or at bjgray.com. Until next time, I'm BJ from Coach's Corner. That is it, everyone, for another week of Women to Watch. Stay tuned next week for what we're calling a double dose of inspiration as I bring you the life stories of both Emma Isaacs and Summer Watson, two amazing entrepreneurs inspiring women across the globe. Thank you so much to our watch team and sponsors, and I hope you all have a great week. Thanks for listening to Women to Watch with Sue Rocco, a Jacob Media production. If you're interested in learning more about the power of the radio hour, contact Joe Krause at 267-261-3428. announcement and does not reflect the views of WPHD or its management. Today's program has been pre-recorded. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. 
Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.